0: welcome back guys strong back soft front podcast it's me Emily and today I have a very special guest her name is Joe Jackson aka JJ um welcome to the podcast thanks so much Emily yes aka JJ um funny like I wanted to start there like you and I have kind of gotten to know each other the last year um out of I don't even know how it happened I feel like it just came to be and now we are at two different parts of the world we've never actually met and yet we're trying to create something quite amazing I think Uh, the picture is there the vision is there and now it's like the groundwork to get there um yeah I don't even know like I just remember meeting you the first time and I thought who is this woman because you are really impactful in how you speak and I, I I find you really 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 um intriguing and uh, inspiring uh, definitely so I I just want to start with saying actually I've learned so much about you and, and looking how you express yourself I find it really really encouraging as a woman because how you take your space. Thank you yeah
1: that's um, that, that's a lovely compliment uh, yeah. it wasn't always like that and uh, there's a lot of work that's gone to being the person I am now, as opposed to the previous versions, previous iterations of me. And uh, I'm not done yet. There
0: are future iterations of me that uh, I have planned. Mm. I think that's so exciting because you're, you're always evolving. And it's like, you know, but you feel like you've shifted. I, and I've come to a place where you feel like you've shifted and you look back and go like, wow, that person was there she was great in her own entity and was needed at that time and now i'm here and i can look at it and go wow and how did that happen um, part of what i wanted to bring you on here is obviously to talk about your story and how you came to quite horrendous burnout um, and then yeah. maybe see how that has had the impact of you stepping into who you are today because i'm sure it has um, yeah when did this happen, you hitting a burnout? And then we can go into why and the details of it.
1: The burnout itself took place in uh, 2018, late 2018. Mm. And it was it was a typical burnout. It crept. It crept up on me. Uh, I didn't feel the feather. I didn't feel the brick. I definitely felt the Mack truck and uh, was in denial the whole time. Uh, if you talk to the doctors that were there at the time that I was put into isolation. They'll probably tell you I was stark raving mad because from the time that they told me you should be dead, I did what I do. I cocked my eyebrow. I looked at the chief hematologist and oncologist and very politely told them they didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> Not out of arrogance, but because... What they were saying to me made absolutely no sense and as far as i was concerned i have a hundred percent success rate for coming through adversity so really why should this be any different on the flip side of that however i wasn't scared if that's what it was meant to be i had i had lived a great life i had done a lot i wanted to do so much more and be more and share more but i could categorically say you know what it's been pretty damn good so if this is curtains, then this is curtains, but it's not curtains.
0: I love that. Um, but I think that's such a, pow- a powerful way of actually having an attitude to life in general in how, in how it's like, okay, but this, if this is the moment where I go, can I just go and say, right, it was a good ride or I did the best I could? Or regardless if you know you have so much more to give and offer and do and there's more experiences and people and all of these things. but. Um, to still be able to sit at your quote-unquote deathbed, because that's kind of what they said, you should be dead, and to go, all right, well, I don't feel dead because I had a good life. And then, yeah. So I know that you said that you didn't feel the the feather and the the brick and then things happening. But if you go looking in hindsight, like now, that it's been a few years later, can you recognize the pattern or the the denial and the suppression? Um, And what was it like? What were the the early signs if you do remember?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And in fact, when I got out of hospital, uh, I bribed the doctors to let me out because they wanted to keep me in for longer. Uh, I was still technically too sick to go out of hospital because my neutrophils were so low. And as you know, your neutrophils are part of your immune system. They're what fight virus, disease, sickness. So if you've got very low to know, and mine was 0.02, semi-healthy is at 0.8. So mine were barely measurable. They had to take multiple lots of blood to get a reading. Uh, They thought the the readings were wrong. So they basically come in and said to me, if somebody sneezes on you right now, you're dead. Your immune system is that shot. It's been depleted that badly. It's been fighting something. We don't know what it is but you're sick. You are very, very gravely ill. And we don't know if you're going to make it through any given day, let alone any given night. So when I finally bribed them to let me out of hospital because the food was horrendous um, and they had me in an isolation ward with um, people who were in palliative care for cancer. So that that's not a great experience. It's a very eye-opening experience. Um, whereas now people need to be masked up and, everything because of COVID. Well, for anyone to come and visit me, you needed to have a gown, you needed to have gloves, you need to have a mask. I had a sign on my door that said infectious disease and you needed to sign in, basically sign your life away with blood. You were only allowed to stay for 15 minutes and I was only allowed two visitors a day. So that's an indication of how badly I was I was sick. It was that bad, that intense.
0: You were the so first thing-
1: yeah, it's, it's that bad. I, I have on my medical record that I had an infectious disease. I had to report into the government it was that bad. Wow. Wasn't allowed to donate blood for a significant period of time. So, you know, this stuff, is, it was the real deal. There was no messing around. And um, When I came out, I did what I told the doctors I would do, and I didn't go straight back to work. So I had this period of uh, return to work recovery, which took about three months, where I gradually returned back to my full-time job. And during that period of time, I started to get really frustrated with myself. And I'm not a stupid woman by any means. So I started to wonder how on earth I got myself to this position. You know, I've been involved in fitness and health for 15 years. I was a CrossFit coach. I was a trainer. I was all of these things. So for me, in my mind, it's like, you know, health, Joe, how the hell did you get here? And so I started asking myself the question, right? Right. What would I ask my clients? I was coaching at the time for a corporation, and it was well. If I was my own client, what would I ask? How's your eating? And it's, oh, my eating kind of sucks. It's it's okay. I feed the kids; they eat really well. I probably don't eat so well. My water's great; I keep that up. Okay. How's your sleeping? Well, you know, I'm probably getting about four hours a night. That's a problem. Uh, what's your coffee intake like? Well, let's not discuss my coffee intake. Uh, you know, what's your exercise like? Well. I probably should be, but who's got the time? So all of these answers to these basic questions were, gee, Joe, you suck. No wonder you ended up where you did. Uh, when I was in the hospital, the doctors actually said to me, one of the only reasons we can fathom that you are actually here is because you are just so darn resilient that you refuse to believe that you're sick. So you're actually telling yourself that you're not sick, and that's why you haven't ended up here earlier. And I think there's probably truth to that because all of my blood suggested that I was in dire straits. I mean, people have died with less of a problem than I was presented with. So when I went home, it was about self-evaluation. There was a little bit of kicking myself of, seriously, Joe. you're not stupid. How the hell did you end up here? And then there was, okay, well, I'm not going to live in the past. What do I need to change? So I'd been separated from my husband about two years prior And so I'd gone from having this fantastic life. It's what it was. You know, we had overseas trips every year. We had the fancy car. We had the fancy everything. You would look at our life and say, I want to live like them. That's the life that we were blessed to live. When I became a single parent, I'm it. All of a sudden, I am 24-7 parent. I am the only one bringing in a financial income. I'm now paying all the bills for private school, for kids, for mortgage, for this, for that. We went through a period of a month between selling the family home and buying our new home. We surfed couches because there was nowhere for us to go. So we bounced couches for a month, made a lot of fun out of it, you know, had a great time with the kids and then came to this new environment that we didn't want to be in. We didn't like the area that we'd moved into. We didn't like the house. It needed a lot of work. And the energy around that, which at the time I didn't understand, had a massive impact on me. But for me, it was always, I was very task focused. So my theory was always as a job to be done, get it done, get it done, get it done at any cost. And I just didn't realize the cost was going to be me. So in my self-evaluation, it was about, well, how much of myself am I willing to prostitute for this future? And is it worth it? And that's when I really started asking the question that I work with my clients on constantly. Is it worth it? Is it worth the sacrifice? If it is, Go get it, become obsessed with it, but don't try and sprint marathon. And that's what I was doing. I was sprinting a marathon. So when I reevaluated, it was all about what are the basic fundamentals? Get those back into place. Because the big awakening for me was I couldn't see my kids for eight days. They weren't allowed in the hospital because they were under 12. And I didn't want them to see me on FaceTime. I had drips hanging out of me and I had a mask on and everything. I looked terrible. So I didn't want them to see me. For the first four days, they didn't. Then I finally allowed them to see me on FaceTime and they were just crying. They were desperate to see me and they didn't understand. And, Mummy, why aren't you coming home? And are you coming home? You know, my daughter was only, I think, seven. Mm. So that's huge for them. So I made a vow to look at what I already knew and to implement the basics that I let slip and to find out how to do this more efficiently to find out how to enable my potential to find out how to become that superhuman, to look at things that I'd never looked at before because I knew there must be a better way and frankly I was hell-bent on finding it
0: yeah and I mean this is the side of you that I see you know the the woman who's kind of come out of it and starting to figure it out and I know that you're still in the path of figuring it out which I think it's the cool thing about the path of mastery It's like it never finishes. Um, and there's like, woof! I scratched another thing. And it's like, wow, I need to now go and see how that applies to me and whether it works or not. And then you go, wow, and then this comes in and then a person comes in. So, yeah. Um, one thing that I love that you say, and I need to just say it again, is that you had to ask yourself if you were willing to prostitute yourself for the outcome. And I thought that was powerful. So I just wanted to steal that in so that I could like, Yeah, that's powerful. It's a very like, am I willing to prostitute myself? Wow. And I think especially as a woman saying that, like it's a it has a very strong energy to it. And something that I wanted to talk to you about again is like the whole thing about energy. But before we do, how do you how do you now, knowing what you had to go through to get to where you are now, how do you manage yourself? Because I know that you still have so many balls in the air and you do so many things how do you see the signs and the, the feather this time so that you don't end up at the, at the truck? What do you yeah. do? Yeah,
1: great question. Fantastic question. Um, It comes from what I call having an intimate relationship with reality. There's a, a guy called Peter Crone who's a mindset architect from the US. He used to be a personal trainer to the stars. And he talks about how he had a relationship with a woman that was everything and he was just the perfect boyfriend for her but she couldn't cope with it so she left him he was an orphan at the time and she left him but she told him he was the perfect boyfriend but she still left and that messed with his head because he was trying to reconcile well if I'm the perfect boyfriend what the hell where are you going what's going on here so he talks about developing what he calls his intimate relationship with reality and that's what I now live For me, an intimate relationship with reality means the three factors, body, mind, spirit. So am I intimate with my body? Do I understand my energy? Do I understand when I have sexual energy? Do I understand when I have playful energy? Do I understand when I have dominant energy? And am I comfortable in having dominant energy as a woman who also wants to come across as graceful? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's that understanding of being intimately ingrained in who I am first and foremost. Because the energy will then determine how you move forward. But even with that, it's all about understanding where you want to go as well. Not just I'm bopping along on life, not task-focused like I was at the time, but what do you really want to achieve? What's your purpose? What's your passion? What lights you up? Um, For me, my passion is people. So I wind that into my day regularly because that gives me energy serving gives me energy um also my sleep it's now a non-negotiable um right i'm i'm, I'm wearing a, a ring on my finger here waiting for my aura ring and i'm um, very much looking forward to getting that on which is going to measure my REM sleep and all sorts of things around that i learned my sleep chronotype and it's okay i'm a lark what does that mean i wake up here i should sleep here and how do i best function in my life well i do these things at these times So I readjusted my timetable around that and I fit that chronotype perfectly. I spend more time with friends now. I never made time for me. It was always, I have to give for the family. I have to give for the family. I have to do for my kids. And it was what I was brought up with. It's you're a mother first. So everything else doesn't matter. I had no time for dating. I had no inclination to date because I was exhausted. On the weekends where the kids were with their dad, I'd almost always be passed out on the couch, tired, mm. desperately wanting to go out, but just so exhausted that I couldn't. Or alternatively, I'd go out exhausted and say to hell with it, have massive nights, and then Monday would come along and I'd spend a week paying for it. So I found that balance and allow myself to have the things that I need. I get the body. You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a crazy woman for exercise, just... You know, been stupid enough to do the 75 hard and pick that up again. Um, But that's a non-negotiable for me now. I now exercise twice daily as a non-negotiable. So I've gone from a person who couldn't even do it once to now religiously doing at least two half-hour blocks of exercise every single day without fail. I look after my body with my nutrition, four litres of water a day, every day without fail, fruit every day, vegetables every day, watch my carbs, make sure I get enough proteins, not being anal about it, but generally working out what I need and just being flexible within the middle. Mm. And that for me now, that's my foundation and they're my cornerstones to allow me to continually grow in new
0: versions of me. Mm. I love that. Something that I teach my clients, it's uh, like the traffic light analogy where we have our non-negotiables and it keeps us in the green because it's how we operate the best. We take care of our basic needs so we're good to go and push, push, push. And at some point, we start to maybe drop a couple of things and we go into amber. It's like, okay, we can keep going amber. It's kind of safe, you know, because other people will have stopped or. But then eventually we go into the red and that's when we know we're heading towards the burnout. So do you. What do you do if you feel like you're going into amber and you and you need to come back to green? What is like your your. Today I need to do this because I feel that I'm heading in that amber red direction. What do you do? Yeah,
1: it's um, it's an ongoing thing. It really determine it's determined by which area of my life I'm on amber in. Have I dropped the ball on all three? Uh, in which case, it then comes back to my planning. What's going on with my planning that I'm dropping the ball on my non-negotiables? More often than not, with me, it becomes a, a point of Uh, My primary business just gets so ridiculously busy that I don't have time for my coaching business. And therefore, as a result of that, I sacrifice me. But I turn that on its head. And that means that I look after me first, which is why I'm a 5 a.m. riser. I'm up at 5 a.m. and I do my stuff for me first. But to get to Amber, I always know I'm there and I always know I'm getting there and I have a threshold of tolerance. So I know that when I don't go straight to sleep as soon as my head hits the pillow, I have a problem. I know that when I'm staying up past 10 o'clock regularly, I have a problem. I know that if I'm getting to eight o'clock at night and I haven't consumed my four litres of water, I haven't been conscious throughout the course of the day because I've missed my targets because I have a little buzzer that goes up on my wrist, which says, you know, you should be at one litre, two litres, three litres, four litres. I haven't felt that which means I haven't been conscious throughout the day. So my default, default network mode's been on. I've been in subconscious all day, just plodding along. And that's not good. That's an indication for me that I am not thinking I'm on habit. Mm. So I try and stay conscious as much as I possibly can. I have little reminders. They come up on my phone. They come up on my, my bella, on my wrist, um, just to remind me, just to trigger me. Have you done this? Where's that? Or, you know, maybe an affirmation for the day of the energy I want, mm. always to snap me out of that unconscious melancholy of the hamster wheel to the wake up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I want to go back and talk about the whole thing about energy that you spoke about, about being in touch with like an intimate relationship to yourself and what that means in terms of the different energies that you that you have essentially and you tap yeah. into how did you I mean apart from uh what's his name Crone what did you say his name was Peter Crone yeah Peter Crone yeah apart, like that was was that the entry to you your discovery and thought process around this or how did this happen and yeah
1: It's a really good question. Uh, It's part of my evolution and it really is. Um, When I came out of the hospital, I I made a conscious decision that I would continue to evolve daily. I have a saying and um, it basically goes, if I step into tomorrow, the same person that I was yesterday, then I chose not to grow today. And for me, life is growth. Life is changing Uh, I came from an environment to a previous version of me that was desperate to change, desperate to grow, desperate to be that disruptor and that questioner. But she was constrained in the, the perception of who she was supposed to be. So I became that person and I did everything I was supposed to do for that role. And so I came out of that role with this real conflict of, I'm supposed to be a good girl. Uh, I was brought up in a Christian family, so those people who understand Christianity would understand the spiritual battle between good and evil. Basically, you're either a good person who does all the right things or you're evil. Um, But we don't often talk about the reconciliation of the two uh, with what we call grace. And whilst we did talk about that a lot in my church, I never made the connection. As Carl Jung says, you know, you've got your light and your shadow. We don't spend time in the shadow because effectively it scares the hell out of us. But it's still us, whether we acknowledge it or not. It doesn't change the fact that it's still there. It just means that we don't want to get to know it. So I started to get to know me as a whole. I got a coach and I said to her, I need to know who I am intimately. Not not who people tell me I should be, not who the projected world wants me to be, but who I am. Uh, there's a saying from Charles Horton Cooley and if I say it properly and sometimes I get it all mixed up, it's um, I am not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. That's the one. And it's a bit there as well as I'm not who I think I am, I'm not who you think I am. But the effectiveness of that, that saying is I am trying to be who you think I should be based on my perception of your thoughts. And that just messes with your head. So if we're running around trying to be the version of us for everybody around, then that means there's so many different versions of us. Why don't we just step back into being authentic? For me, I, was, I wasn't sure what that meant. Uh, for me, that meant that I needed to get comfortable with my natural disruptive side. And then that was a case of well, what does that mean if I've got this naturally disruptive side what are people going to say? What are my parents going to say? You know, my parents are active in a church community. So what will happen there? Will they be okay with that? Will they get upset? And so there's this big worry about what people will say. I learned to put that aside. And I learned to adapt the methodology and the thought process of what people think of me is none of my business. Not because I don't care, but because I've spent a lot of time Becoming me and continuing to become an elevated version of the person I was yesterday. So I need to be completely in synchronicity with every element of who I am. You know, the nurturing side that I am when I'm a mom, um, the, the sassy side that I am when I'm on dating sites, you know, the disruptive side when somebody comes up to me and wants to just go toe-to-toe. And um, I'm not the person that backs down. I've accepted that. If somebody wants to have an open conversation with me about something that I'm passionate about, I'll meet you there and we'll have the conversation. I won't get upset about it if we disagree. But I won't move away from having the conversation out of fear or because I'm concerned about what you'll think of me because this is who I am. I own the whole me, the light, the shadow, the nurturer, the disruptor, the sassy She's all me. So as soon as I learned to own her and to integrate every element of her, it was just the most beautiful moment that I'd had in years. And from then on, it was a whole new ballgame.
0: Mm, I love that. Um... So obviously, oftentimes people talk about the feminine and the masculine energies and stuff. And often, I mean, I used to think personally that my feminine side, she, she didn't have a lot of space because it meant that I wouldn't get what I wanted no one would listen, you know. And part of that is changing in me. Like I'm going through the evolution of change in, in exactly what you've been talking about. So it's so interesting to hear your, your experience. Um, but what have your... Because I can, you have a quite strong energy and it can be quote unquote masculine when we first meet you. But how did you, how was your relationship to your feminine energy? And obviously now it's a lot better, but how has that evolution been from being in a very dominant, driven, go, do, 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 masculine, masculine, and then shifting it into integrating the two. And it really is like this flow. Can you tell me about your story in like, that yeah um
1: I understood that I stepped into the masculine because in my in my marriage my ex-husband was was he was going through some stuff and so I I stepped up and became the man and it was because that's the example that I'd been given from my parents and I never questioned it I'd always been a strong dominant woman Uh, in my 20s I remember I got a disc profile done and it was my first corporate job they came back and redid it. They asked me to fill it out again. And uh, when, they, when they gave the evaluation to me, the guy who gave me the debrief said to me, I've never seen results like yours. So I was used to people saying that to me, like, oh, my goodness, you're amazing. I've never seen results like yours. So I'm kind of sitting there going, yeah, you know, I hear that all the time. And he says, you are such a high D. You are off the charts. And I took that as a, yeah, of course I am. You know, I'm disciplined. I'm, I'm all these things that the, the, the high D personality is. And he actually gave me a piece of advice that scared me at the time. He said, you need to make a decision. You either need to go into a job where that is a skill that is desired or you need to shift. You know, I'm early 20s and I looked at him and went, what do I need to shift for? He said, because that doesn't work in corporate. So you either need to go into the defense force or you need to change your style. Ironically, I had wanted to go into the defense force. I wanted to be a fighter pilot, uh, but my eyesight shot. I don't have 20, 20 vision. Uh, I've had a few surgeries throughout the course of my lifetime and my eyesight's actually diminishing as I get older and at an accelerated rate. So for me, fighter pilot was completely out of scope. So then it was a case of, well, I can't be in the defense force. What does that mean? Well, he very politely told me, well, honey, you need to pull your head in. And that's when I started to understand the difference between natural and adapted styles. And I'd integrated my natural and my adapted style into this, this dominant, masculine, you know you want to touch this, but if you do, I'll break your finger type of girl. And I owned that wherever I went. But what I didn't understand in my early 20s with that was that that was also isolating me. And as soon as I understood it, I shifted it. But it is a constant shift as well. Now I'm, you know, I'm mid-40s. I've got two kids. I'm on my own and I'm back in the dating scene. And that was not my plan. So now it's a case of how do I own me and not be too dominant so that the guys kind of freak out? Or as one lovely man said to me once, what you need is a strong, dominant man that's going to put you in your place. I very politely said to him, honey, everybody knows that the last thing a dominant woman needs is a dominant man. It's a really bad mix. (laughs) So needless to say, we didn't go out on a date. But for me, it's about being okay with those energies and allowing myself to understand the feminine energies and to switch them on without perceiving them as weakness, Mm. to actually understand that the feminine energy is absolutely just glorious and it's divine and I started understanding more about the feminine energy and stopped viewing it as a weakness or an anchor and started viewing it for the beauty it absolutely is and then I started to embrace that I started to not be so dominant I started to be not so rules-based not so black and white my ex used to say to me all the time oh my goodness you're so bloody black and white don't you have any gray and I would say why would you have gray it's either right or it's wrong why do we need gray I didn't understand it but then I became comfortable and you know what there's shades of gray doesn't mean I have to live that life but there are shades of gray and there's there's appropriate places for those shades of gray so for me it's about understanding it I can just as easily walk through the club as, you know, dressed up as a a sexy little thing and and completely own my sassiness and just as easily step into the dominant woman or the the lovely, kind, sweet little girl. Um, Again, it's about owning that energy and understanding what the people around you respond to. Mm. And that's what I continue to get better
0: at. Mm, I love that you said the whole thing about adaptability because it's it's that I think people struggle because they feel that they need to change but it's not about changing it's about being adaptable and flexible yeah um for sure um so how did you like when you feel like you're at your feminine when you allow her through do you find yourself like talking differently operating like standing differently do you do you have it's almost like we have alter egos and we can step tap into the sassy the 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 doer the do you find yourself actually having almost like characters that you step into and it feels like you're you are that you are you but it's like but I put on this character and I, I can I, I almost become another person but I'm still me Um, Yeah. Is that something that you think about or do? Or
1: I remember my first experience, my first conscious experience with that. Um, It was a date that I went on. It was a first date. Uh, I'd connected with this guy online. And from the moment I saw his picture, there was just something. I felt this instant connection. It wasn't attraction, it was connection. And I felt it through my whole body. And I'd never felt anything like it. And I thought, oh, wow. Okay. And then we had conversation for a couple of days and it was very, very different. We talked about values and we talked about being in wonder and we talked about the universe. And I never had conversations like this ever. So when I first met him, uh, he told me later on, he said, I just thought you were some prissy little blonde and you were going to come in with all of these excuses and all of these demands and that you were going to come in for 15 minutes and have a coffee or something and then just leave with some excuse. And I didn't think you'd actually hang around. Um, We ended up talking well into the next morning. In fact, we fell asleep talking because we just chatted. And when I'm around him, he's a very good friend of mine now, when I'm around him, I step into my natural feminine straight away. Uh, My my voice changes. It becomes more soft. My language gets more elevated. uh, My movements are slower. I'm immensely nurturing. I become this different person as soon as I'm in his presence. And I remember speaking to him about it. And I said to him, I feel like I'm spiritually entangled with you. I can't understand it and I don't need to. But I like the fact that I am this person around you. I've never been this person with anybody else. And I would just be the happiest person if we just continue just to be friends and hang out and just do this for as long as we can he says, you know what? I'm totally okay with that. That suits me fine. And that's what we do. We hang out. He's got long hair. I brush his hair or I won't brush his hair or, you know, run my fingers through it or something. And it's just the most natural thing. You'd think that we have been friends for 20 years. And that for me, that's my pure feminine. I now have an example of what she's like. Whereas before that, I just had other people's experiences to, to confirm it against or compare it to now I have my own and you know that version of me I had to learn to like her because initially I was fortunate that when I'd stepped into her that evening when we first met I didn't know I just knew that I felt this immense pull towards this person and I didn't understand it and I was I was almost like, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. I I need to know more. You, you you've got to give me more of there's something here. And I was on this, you know, this whole exploration of how does this work and where does this come from and who are you and what why is this going on? And it was just fabulous. I was emotionally exhausted for days after our first connection, but I understand now there is something about him that brings out that side naturally in me. I just drop all of my boundaries straight away.
0: And I'm completely comfortable in that space. That's so interesting. Uh, I definitely agree that you will find some people that you connect on an energetic level where things don't make sense, but it makes total sense at the same time. I've met some people like that in my life as well. And they've oftentimes not been like lovers or like some some person I've had physical connection with at all. It's just that energetic pull as you say it's so beautiful yeah. when you when yeah. you find those people it's like we are soulmates. um yeah. yeah so can you just tell me how for the for the person or the people listening you know the way that you coach people because you're a high performance coach and you do a lot of things in in all the things that we worked or talked about tonight, is kind of what you try to give out to the world, in, in a sense. So, can you tell me more about the like the type of coaching that you do and how it works? And yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I'm not an average high performance coach. Uh, I call myself a holistic high performance coach. Typically, with high performance, you'd expect to see the Brenda Bachard, six performance habits. You know, you'd have the your, um, your, your high performance habits index. You'd have your clarity and your necessity and all of that. And typically people uh, coach out of the HPH book, which is great. I use Brendan's methodology. I'm in Brendan's mastery program. I love what he does. But for me, I teach mind, body, spirit. So depending on where the person is, uh, I'll, I'll teach different things. So one of my clients at the moment, we're talking about linguistics and quantum. How do I create a future me and bring that future me back into the present? Uh, I'm teaching him at the moment how to separate mind from body. And when I first talked to him about that, eyes wide open, you've got to be kidding, this is ridiculous. We did the meditation for the first time and he couldn't even do it breathwise, and that's normal. But when he started to get the hang of it, he could do it, and he was recognising that his emotions actually control what he does. But he can disconnect from them and become something more intense, something more significant. And so that's part of what I teach. Linguistics. Language is my, I I say language is my lover because linguistics for me, uh, there's a guy named Jason Silver. And my gosh, cognitive ecstasy. Seriously, I can listen to this guy speak and it, it it's literally like a cosmic orgasm you're just there and your mind's just exploding it's like give me it again give me that again give me that again and I just love it so I'll teach people the value of linguistics and how you speak to yourself how you speak to others how your higher self hears but then I'll also teach them about energy physical energy so how do you take care of yourself what about your sleep what about your relationships, you know, your, your spirituality? Do you have a connection to source? Whatever source looks like for you, do you have a connection to it? How often do you connect to it? Are you in conflict with yourself? Do you know your light and your shadow side? So I'm really not even close to your average high-performance coach, and that is intentional because I understand that we are so much more than tasks because I've lived the task-oriented life and it's unfulfilling. So the way I coach people is I take them through a program of what we call transformation. The first 12 weeks is about transformation, where we create version 2.0. And around about week six, they go through a massive epiphany. There's usually tears, and there's massive breakdown. And then there's this realization It's like, you know, the, the dark before the dawn. And they come out the other side with this, oh my goodness, I'm actually so much more than I thought I was. And it's like, let's go and we walk into the next 6 weeks and they come out their version 2.0 and then it's straight into additional coaching for linguistics or or mind or whatever they need and the journey is customized for the person because we're not meant to be locked into something specific you do this here this here this here there's no benefit in compartmentalizing something that is as infinite as ourselves And I think that's fundamentally flawed. So I personally don't adhere to it. I coach on what's needed and what the client wants from a direction perspective. I I use Steve Kotler's methodology of flow, huge on neurological flow. In fact, for all of my clients, that's the end goal, to get them to the point of neurological flow. And once they reach that state, then that's nirvana.
0: Mm, Amazing. and if people want to find you, where can they find you?
1: I am actually on a few platforms. I am on Facebook. Uh, everything's under Joe Jackson. So you can find me on Facebook under Joe Jackson. So if you search Joe Jackson High Performance Coach Sydney, I'm the first one to come up. My SEO has done well. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn under Joe Jackson High Performance Coach. And I'm also on Instagram under Joe Jackson Coach. And if you want to read any of my articles, I'm an executive contributor for Brains Magazine. And I'm in there once a month.
0: Yeah, and you do an amazing work writing for them. Um, Everything that you write is thoughtful, it's disruptive, and it's great. Uh, So keep doing what you do. And I'm sure that I will get you on here and talk about other things. But we both have to get back to work. So thank (laughs) you so, so much for coming to the podcast. I really appreciate you being here. And uh, yeah. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much, Emily. I appreciate it. And I look forward to doing it again.